So this is chapter four, Sins on Honor and Disgrace. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and talk about like the, um, now there's another chapter where this is, there's just a lot. And um, it kind of jumps from one thing to another, right? So chapters one through four are like this, and five, finally, we get to um, something that's more focused. So um, as a result, I'm also going to just jump around here. Uh, this first paragraph is, um, um, is talking about the downfall of people, because the first part of this whole chapter is, is basically talking about um, don't get into fights. Right, and um, young men tend to get into fights all the time, and it's actually really foolish because um, both back then and now, you can easily die in a fight. Human beings are physically pretty weak, um, not just in terms of like how much strength we can throw around, but in terms of how much we can endure. Uh, so, some, some, you know, people ask, oh, can this boxer beat up a gorilla? And it's really obvious that the gorilla, he can't do anything to the gorilla, right? No matter if you're a world heavyweight champ. Um, human beings are weak, right? So if you get into a fight, you can easily die. And that's why, um, you know, the punishment for fighting is very high. Uh, well, a person who engages in brawling is someone who has forgotten his own person, forgotten his family, and forgotten his lord. So you forget your own person because you put yourself into great danger for like for nothing, right? If somebody's really a bad person, he's insulted you, um, but he hasn't physically threatened you. There's no need to fight him because he reveals himself as being a lowly person by insulting you. You just don't need to do that. And uh, it's, it's, it's just better for you to either leave, or if you really want, um, I suppose, sometimes you could also have a ver verbal counterattack, you know. But even then, I wouldn't even necessarily do that. Um, sometimes dogs bark at you, and it's not really pleasurable to um, say something witty as a retort, right? You just, you just kind of ignore the dog. It barks at you, who cares? It's a dog. And so if you really understand the other person's lowly, you don't really care that much. You know, it's an annoyance, but you don't, you don't risk your physical health. You forget your family because your family has to deal with an injured you or if you die, right, you forget your, um, obviously it hurts your family. But you can also think about the disgrace it brings on, on your family if you go to jail or, you know, whatever. You forget the Lord in the sense that, um, you get punished. On the next page, line 62, there's a courage of dogs and pigs, the courage of merchants and robbers, the courage of petty men, and the courage of well-bred men and gentlemen. Um, I like this section a lot because it's kind of reminding you, uh, what are you fighting for, right? It's getting you to ask that. So um, dogs and pigs fight over food and drink, have no restraint and shame, are ignorant of morality, um, are heedless of injury and death, and have no fear of superior numbers or greater strength. And they only see the benefit food of drink. This is a uh, courage of dogs and pigs. So basically, 
Um, you know these kinds of people, right? They're just animals. You don't really have to get too upset over them, over, over any particular person, right? Um, it's really just not worth it. Um, let's say your Lord has a prized, um, a prized hound and it's like barking at you. And uh, if you shoot it, you'll get punished. So just ignore the hound. It's just a dumb dog, right? That's how you want to deal with these people who have legal protection out there, but they're just lonely people. Just avoid them. Just ignore them. Um, they're just animals anyway. Um, what about the courage of merchants and robbers to strive for benefit in all affairs, to struggle over goods and wealth, to have no deference or yielding, to act from brazen daring, to commit brutality from ferocious degree, uh, greed, ravenously seeking only benefit. So they're very materialistic, right? Robbers and merchants are not really any much different from each other. Why? Because both are willing to give up E, righteousness, morality, and Ren, in order to gain materially, right? And so the robber breaks the law, whereas the merchant doesn't. But ultimately, you shouldn't, a virtuous person is not concerned with the law, he's concerned with morality. He'll break the law if it's moral, and he'll abide by the law because it's moral. So that's why merchants and robbers are put together. What about petty men? To commit violence from disdain of death. They fear death, right? So that's what seeking to preserve their own life is what petty men are about. They don't really care about other things. What about well-bred and jinzu? Wherever ye lies, not to be swayed by power, not to focus on benefit, not even changing his glance when offered the whole state in bribery. To uphold ye unswervingly yet while yet taking death seriously, such as the courage of well-bred men and gentlemen. And that's great. You know, I like this phrase especially, not even changing his glance when offered the whole state, the whole country in bribery, right? Now compare that to people who run for political office. They don't have this kind of integrity. You know, um, will they change their glance in order to gain the whole country? Yeah. Not only that, they'll say anything you want that will get them to office. And they'll look happy and sad and ashamed and proud when they think they could get more votes. So if you think democracy encourages this kind of behavior, you know what kind of leadership democracy always ends up providing. Um, now, later in the chapter, um, he starts to talk. He starts uh, to talk about certain things like if you put E and benefit second, you will gain honor. If you put benefit first and E second, you will gain disgrace. And he says like uh, this is how you can um, obtain all under heaven. This is not meant to for the common man to understand. What he's who, who's talking about is people who are already lords, people who are already prominent in their societies not just the average person. So don't take this advice and just think that, oh, if you um, 
make your thoughts and intentions extremely cultivated, make your practice of virtue extremely abundant, etc., you will obtain the multitudes of people. You'll obtain the masses. This is not um, this is not true for people who aren't already the king. So this is this is really what he means is you're you're already the king or you're already the lord and you have this great virtue. Then the people will become yours, not in terms of they just begrudgingly follow you, but really they they have their their loyalty. Um, you have their loyalty, right? It's a very different thing from what he will later call the hegemon in a later chapter. The hegemon gets them to, he does get the masses to follow him because he's powerful and kind of scary or very scary. But it's not done out of a genuine um, love for one's Lord. It's done more out of fear. It's more done out of uh, a desire for benefit. You know, so um, this again doesn't really happen unless you already have the power, unless you already have the position. And that's why, again, in democracy, you can't wait for somebody who is highly virtuous to go up there on the stand and just say the truth and everything, and the people turn to him. No, that's not how it works. If he's already powerful, if he's already in that position, then the people who are, you know, they're already following him because he's already the Lord, but their hearts will truly turn to them. That's what Shunzu is talking about. So, um, that's why the next sections here is talking about if you are a feudal lord, this is how you obtain your people. Um, if you are an official or grand minister, this is how you obtain the, peop uh, the people or the land uh, underneath here within your office, right? Um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so even as a common person, you can't obtain the whole world, you can't obtain the whole country, but what you can obtain in line 125 is you can obtain warmth, clothing, plentiful food, and long life, and avoid punishment and execution, right? So based on your position that you're born into, you can gain certain things through virtue, but it really depends on what you're born into. You cannot really go necessarily beyond your station and grab it. I'm going to jump um, a few pages, go to line 202. Uh, by birth, people are originally petty people. Without a teacher or the proper model, they will seek only benefit. So um, two things to say about this. One, this of course is true. Originally, you're not good, you're petty. You just want benefits. You just want social status. You just want material goods. You don't want virtue. Um, but with a teacher or the proper model, um, you actually see what is harder to understand, but more important, more valuable, and more beautiful, and more treasure, uh, cherished, uh, something to be more cherished than simply a lot of food, a big house, nice clothes, um, etc. Right. So by birth, people are originally petty people, and if they meet with a chaotic age and acquire chaotic customs, then this is to add pettiness to pettiness. 
to get chaos from chaos. If the gentleman, the Junza, does not have power, then he will have no way to get inside them. What do people's mouths and bellies know of ritual and E? What do they know of deference and yielding? So in other words, the Junza needs to have power. He needs to have position in order to change the petty people into something better because they're normally born into an age of chaos. We live in a chaos, age of chaos today. People are going to remain in that pettiness. So they're not going to choose a moral and virtuous leader, right? Um, this is like trying to um, get a plant without plant, uh, uh, grow a tree without planting a seed, right? You don't have the original cause that is needed, the necessary cause that is needed. All right. Um, we have this analogy to tell to show you uh, why you need a teacher, why you need a proper model. Um, there's a story about somebody who eats bad food, right? Not bad food, but not really great food, right? It just says vegetables and rice dregs. And such a person would think that complete sufficiency consists in simply vegetables and rice dregs if he never saw meats and fine rice before. And once he, once he sees these fine meats and rice, he might be surprised and he looks at them and says, why are these strange things? And he smells them and he tastes them and he realizes this is, this is pretty good food, right? And he says, and Shunza says, then no one would fail to choose these foods and give up the earlier ones. Now, how about the way of former kings and the ordering of Ren, uh, ordering influence of Ren and E? and how these make for communal life, mutual support, mutual adornment, and mutual security. In other words, people don't know to value the Tao, Ren and Yi, um, because they haven't experienced it, because they don't know about it. They don't know what it's like. They don't know how beautiful it is. And it takes somebody of, of um, a lot of intelligence and a lot of hard work to get themselves to understand a little bit of the way, experience a little bit of the way, and to extrapolate from that, that there's something greater. Okay, so you don't, um, even very intelligent people, if they haven't experienced any little bit of the way, of former, the way of former kings, the Tao, then it's, um, Sometimes they, they never understand what this is. So I've met a lot of very intelligent people. They don't understand the value of the Tao because they've never experienced uh, enough of it in their lives. And they cannot therefore extrapolate from that experience into something greater. Uh, so he says, uh, the person of Ren likes to instruct and demonstrate to people. He instructs them and demonstrates to them, refines them and urges them on, guides them, and works repeatedly on them. So people who are Ren naturally take the teaching. They don't just hold it up and keep it away from people. They have this natural desire to do so. That's why when you find somebody, and um, I know this one person, he's tried to translate the analects and I looked at what he's done in his life. 
something at age 60, after he's retired from a life, a career in finance, um, a career in business, he now tries to become a Confucian scholar. And um, this is kind of, I don't have high hopes for such a person. And he's arrogant enough to um, have his own translation of the Analects. And um, instead of, you know, when, whenever Confucius talks about how you should treat your Lord, he says how you should treat your boss. That's how he translates it. It's ridiculous. Um, you don't spend 50 years trying to make money like a merchant, like a businessman. And then all of a sudden, one day, you think you can be somebody who is a role model, a junza. After all that time that you did not spend instructing and teaching others or working on yourself, it, it doesn't work that way. Ridiculous. Shenzhou also talks about um, the short-sightedness of, of the petty person. You know, the common people are typically short-sighted. Um, you know, the natural disposition of people is that for food they want meats. By the way, whenever Shenzhou is talking about the natural disposition of people or the original nature of people, he's really talking about the masses because most people do not have the opportunity to work on themselves. And even if they do have the opportunity, as we see, uh, in today's society, they actually don't choose to work on themselves very much. They just want to be comfortable. Right? They just want to eat, live easy lives. They don't want to work on themselves. They don't really take them to uh, put themselves to the task. Um, so he says about the natural position of people, they're pretty short-sighted overall. Um, The last thing, I, oh, the, the next thing I want to point out about this chapter is this um, idea: study them once, and you will find them worth studying again. This is what you do with classics. Um, you have to do these things because the first time through you get some understanding, but every time you read it, you get a deeper understanding. And even after you understand it intellectually, it should change your heart by repeating these precious words, these words that are true, because you're in a world that you're surrounded by falsehoods and people acting barbarically. And you need to be reminded what is true, what is beautiful, what is right. You need to have that reminder. If you don't, you will end up becoming either discouraged or worse, you will become a worse person because you've absorbed every all the garbage that's around you. Like somebody who lives next to a dump starts to smell, their clothes and their body starts to smell, and their hair starts to smell. Um, by going through these classics, it's like uh, showering that off. So the last thing I want to point out here um, is this paragraph here. Um, to be as noble as the son of heaven, aka the emperor, and to be so rich as to possess the whole world, these are what the natural dispositions of people are all alike in desiring. However, if you follow along with people's desires, then their power could not be accommodated and goods could not be made sufficient. Um, he'll return to this point later on, but the idea here is 
that um, if you let people's desire go unrestrained, and we have two ways to do this in our society, capitalism and democracy. People's appetite for power and freedom, that's democracy, is unleashed in democracy, unrestrained democracy. People's appetite for material goods is unleashed in capitalism, modern capitalism at least. Um, if you don't restrain them using good government, uh, and you know, Confucians are not libertarians. They don't believe that the government's only role is to preserve private property rights. You know, there is some guidance. If you both, if you do not restrain uh, restrain these things, then everybody will be in a state of poverty. You know, everybody's scrambling to get goods. The environment gets destroyed, um, and people just become poor because they're constantly scrambling for the same goods. Okay, uh, you can think of that just in terms of simple supply and demand, right? Um, accordingly, for their sake, the former kings established ritual and e in order to divide the people up. So Li and Yi create this distinctions between uh, right and wrong and higher and lower in terms of position and status. And the kings caused there to be rankings of noble and base, the distinction between old and young, and the divisions between wise and stupid and capable and incapable, in other words, smart and stupid. Um, all these cause each person to carry out his proper task and attain to his proper place. After that, they cause the amount and abundance of their salaries to reach a proper balance. Okay, so what we do is we, the way the former kings is to divide up everybody into their proper roles, what they're good at, right? Um, and so we have specialization, which any economist knows is key to more productivity, more abundance. We also have people um, we also have sufficiency, right? We have less chaos. And then after that, they cause the amount and abundance of their salaries to reach the proper balance. Salaries reaching the proper balance. They cause the amount and abundance of their salaries to reach the proper balance. This is not always done directly through law, right? In other words, oh, you're a doctor, you make this much. You can do this indirectly. So the reason why doctors make a lot of money is through an indirect process where only certain people are allowed to become doctors. Okay, so if you uh, you can always use indirect measures, and I don't think anybody's out there saying, "Oh, the doctors make um, uh, too much money. I'd rather risk having bad doctors um, and you know just having every every doctor out there make a lot less money." Nobody's really seriously considering that. Um, Medical bills are too expensive, but for reasons other than doctor's salary. Uh, and furthermore, I don't have a problem with doctors making a lot of money, the money they do. I just want there to be more of them. Um, but in any case, we can all, uh, you know, I, I think it's not unreasonable to believe that certain people should be able to make certain amounts of money because of how important their services are to the society, right? So you cause not necessarily through law, but they cause the amount and abundance of their salaries to reach a proper balance. This is a way to achieve community life and harmonious unity. So that way you have enough people in the right positions carrying out their jobs without worrying about getting a, a side gig, 
a second job, right? Everybody is is content. Everybody's in a good amount of balance. They're doing what they do. They're doing what they can do best, and they're not overworked. Obviously, this means that you shouldn't have billionaires in a society like this. You shouldn't have people so wealthy that they can afford to create a mini city floating on the ocean. You know, these massive cruise vessels um, that they just control entirely simply for creating an online store like Amazon, right? Um, that is not um, causing the amount and abundance of people's salaries to reach the proper balance. That's the existence of billionaires is an obvious example of uh, imbalance in, in people's incomes. Uh, so when a person of random is in power, the farmers devote all their strength to their fields, the merchants devote all their cleverness to their earnings, and the hundred craftsmen devote all their skillfulness to their products. From the off officials to the high and high ministers up to the dukes and marquises, uh, the marquises, no one fails to devote all his rent, generosity, intelligence, and capabilities to fulfilling his official position. This is called the utmost balance. And so one man takes the world as his salary, but does not consider it much, thus the emperor. Another man guards the gates, steers the army, secures the passes, or sounds the alarms, but does not consider it little. In other words, he takes his responsibilities very seriously. And so it is said, cut apart and yet even, crooked and yet aligned, different and yet one, such is called the proper gradation of people. So, the idea of harmony comes out of this idea of order, which allows people to specialize and have uh, different gradations of power and influence depending on their ability, wisdom, and virtue. So the idea, ideal is the best people in terms of intelligence, knowledge, but moreover virtue and wisdom are at top leading everybody. And they are, um, the salaries are ample so they don't have to worry about feeding their families. They don't have to worry about um, the futures of their children. They, their salaries are ample. They can just focus on using their wisdom or virtue to help everybody in society. And, and because there's a lot of abundance, because people are not fighting over, oh, I want to I want to have a coach bag or I want to have a Tesla car and all these other people do so the manufacturer gets to raise the price of it because he's purposely limiting the supply of these things um, because they're luxury items. Because people are not contending over these items, there's an abundance um, and you know people fight over social, you know, people spend money on social status symbols to make themselves feel better. And that's another reason why you have proper gradations um, if you make a bunch of money by doing something that's ultimately not really that important, like being a merchant, um, you shouldn't have high status symbols. And that, that saves down, uh, that saves on people's resources. So instead of creating more handbags, instead of, you know, generating more of these things, uh, wasting land to, you know, grow more silk than people really need, what you can do is you can simply grow more food 
and food becomes abundant. And because food becomes abundant and the materials for houses become abundant and labor to build houses become abundant, and because society is at harmony because of virtual propriety um, and proper hierarchy, life is just innately pleasant. You can enjoy the time you have with your family without overworking, without stressing about your finances five, 10, 20 years down the road. You can just enjoy life. You don't need fancy items. You don't need coach bags, uh, handbags. You don't need BMW cars. You don't need these things to be happy. But because your life is actually so chaotic and miserable, you get addicted to that momentary pleasure when something from Amazon comes into your home. It's a new shiny object. You're enamored for it. And you don't really even use it that much. That bat handbag sits in your closet or that video game sits in your video game library and you just never get to enjoy it because you're wasting all this time on your side gig. And so the society that Shunzu imagines is not simply idealistic. It's something that just simply has to happen. Otherwise, you live in a world where the common people are constantly working, constantly stressing, while some guy invents an online store and is a multi, uh, multi-billionaire, or some guy um, corners a market for computer operating systems and, and generates a, you know, becomes multi-billionaire there. Um, why would you want to have such a society? So that's what you want to think when you're considering Shunzu. Next chapter is chapter five. It's going to be a little bit more focused.